What would you say if I told you that the Bible says money is the answer to everything? The preacher in the book of Ecclesiastes, who is actually King Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, writes this in chapter 10 and verse 19. He says, men prepare a meal for enjoyment and wine makes life merry and money is the answer to everything. If you read in the, uh, in the message translation, it says this, money makes the world go round. Doesn't sound very spiritual, does it? But if you think about it, and it's honest, wave at me if you've ever heard someone preach on that verse before. That's kind of what I thought. One. We've got one. It's not very often this verse comes up. There's not many pastors who will stand up on the platform and say, hey, money is the answer to everything, says King Solomon. But listen, money does solve problems in the natural world. Am I right? Right? Like if you've got a leaky roof, well, money will fix that. If your car broke down, money fixes that. If you need a new place to live, money also fixes that. If you're hungry, money. If you're poor, money fixes poverty. Bills to pay, money is the answer to all of these things. But what money doesn't solve is the internal and the eternal issues of life. Money will not buy you friends. It can get you some acquaintances that like to hang around you as long as you're throwing the money around, but it's not actually going to buy you friends. Money will not make you happy. Money will not make you feel fulfilled and give you that, that contentment of life on the, on the inside. And money cannot buy you or get you eternal life. See, we, we talk about finances because finances are important. Is money important to anybody here? Come on now. You may be sitting in church, but you don't have to be super spiritual. Money is important to every last one of us. If you have breath in your lungs, money is important. It doesn't matter what country you live in, money is important. The Bible specifically mentions money over 800 times, and there are over 2,000 references to money, to finances, and, to, and, and possessions in the Scriptures. God talks about money. Because he knows the role it plays in our lives, and it is a very important role. That, the role of, of, of money and finances, and our relationship to money and to finances is important, and it's also at the same time very complex. It's important that we get our relationship with money and with finances, that we get this right. P.T. Barnum once said, money is a terrible master, but an excellent servant Jesus said it this way, you cannot serve God and money. See, you can only have one master. You can only have one Lord. You can only have one king and one God. That's it, one. Today I want to talk about the tenth. And we're going to look at what the Bible says about tithing, which is giving that tenth portion. See, tithe literally means tenth. And the best place to start when we're going to establish what it is that God says that we should do with our money, the best place for us to start is in the beginning. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. 
It says, Now the man Adam knew Eve as his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have obtained a man, a baby boy or a son, with the help of the Lord. And later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept the flocks of sheep and goats, but Cain cultivated the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, but Abel brought an offering of the finest firstborn of his flock and the fat portions. And the Lord had respect or regard for Abel in his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no respect. So Cain became extremely angry and indignant and looked annoyed and hostile. Have you ever read this passage and wondered what's the difference in what Cain gave and what Abel gave? Like why did God smile and give favor and approval for what Abel gave but not for what Cain gave? He had no regard for what Cain gave. Was it the fact that, that, that Abel gave, gave meat and animals and, and Cain gave vegetables? I mean we all know that, that God prefers meat over, over vegetables. That's not it. Although that, you know... I'd say that that is true. I'm sorry to all my vegan and vegetarian friends. But the difference between Cain's offering and Abel's offering was timing. See, verse 3 says that Cain, in the course of time, Cain brought his offering. See, as, as Cain got around to it, he brought an offering to God. But Abel, it says... Abel gave to God from the firstborn, from the very first of his flocks. Before he did anything else, he gave to God. See, God's not looking for your leftovers. He wants your first. There's only space for one person on the seat of your heart. And Jesus wants that space. See, the size of your offering, the kind of offering, that wasn't important. We don't know that, you know what, maybe, maybe it's, it's possible because Scripture is silent, maybe Cain gave a larger offering than what Abel did. See, but Abel gave to God first. See, God was looking for the first because the first shows who's Lord in my life. Abel showed and demonstrated that, that God was his Lord, that God was his king by bringing his offering before he did anything else with his flocks he gave to God. See, here in, in Genesis chapter 4, God is establishing the principle that offerings come to him from the very first portion of all that we receive. Now turn over 10 chapters to Genesis chapter 14. We're just going to walk through some scriptures today. Because I understand, I've been around long enough, I've been in ministry long enough that I understand that finances, and when we, when we talk about giving and tithing, even probably more specifically, that some people get a little bit uptight and some people get a little bit nervous. So we're just going to walk through the scriptures and we're going to see, well, what, it is, what is it that Jesus, that the Bible actually says about tithing, about giving? So in Genesis chapter 14, we'll read starting at verse 18. And it says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, for he was priest of God most high. And Melchizedek blessed Abram and said, blessed Joyful and favored be Abram by God most high, creator and possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed, praised, and glorified be God most high, who has given your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave a tenth of all the treasure he had taken in battle. This is the very first time 
that the word tithe is used in the Bible. I read it in my translation, it's translated as tithe, but it's the exact same word. That Hebrew word that's translated tenth and the Hebrew word that's translated tithe is the exact same word. In fact, 28 times in the Old Testament that Hebrew word is translated as tithe and only four times is it translated as tenth. See, tenth and tithe are the same thing. These three verses are actually a little bit odd in the, in the context of the story. See, the context of the story is Lot, who is Abram's nephew, is living in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And there were raiders that came and they raided the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And they took captive and they took treasure. So they took captive all the people and all the families and they took all of their possessions and their belongings. So in this raid on Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot and his family and all their possessions were scooped up and they were taken. So they were, they were kidnapped. And Abram goes out to rescue his nephew Lot. And he, he has a, a battle with the raiders, those that, 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 that kidnapped him. And he won. And then there's these three verses. It says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, comes to Abram. There's two things I want you to take notice of here. Number one, Melchizedek is a symbol for Jesus. And there are some scholars that believe that this is actually pre-incarnate Jesus, which means this is Jesus before Jesus was born as a human being. Now, that's, there's, there's debate there, but I, I, what I want to do is I want to show you that Melchizedek points to Jesus. See, Melchizedek is a king, and his name actually means righteousness. So he is the king of righteousness. The book of Hebrews in chapters 5 through 7 also connect Jesus to Melchizedek, saying that Jesus is high priest of God in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was king and also high priest to God. He was king over a city called Salem, which is actually ancient Jerusalem, and it means peace. So Melchizedek is high priest to God, and he is also the king of peace and righteousness. You see, this it points to Jesus. And Abram, of all the spoils of his victory, of the spoils of his, of his battle, says that he collected it all and he gave a tithe, a tenth to Melchizedek who at the very least is foreshadowing, is pointing to Jesus, and is possibly at most pre-incarnate Jesus. See, this is the first time that tithing is mentioned in the Bible, and in this, right here, this verse, these three verses, God is establishing that the tithe is given to him, because Melchizedek represents Jesus, who is God. If you flip through, and we won't read the story for, for time's sake, but Genesis chapter 28, Jacob has a dream. Jacob is sleeping out, you know, in, in where it turns out to be Bethel. Eventually, so he, he's, he, he's traveling, he rests, he sleeps, and he has this dream. The dream is of this giant ladder with the bottom of the ladder on the ground and the top of the ladder that reaches up to heaven. And in this dream, he sees these angels going up and down the ladder, up and down the ladder. And he wakes up and he says, this is not only, this is, this could only be the gate of heaven. And he, he puts up this stone as a memorial for, for this place. And it says that he pours olive oil on, onto the stone. He, he sets it apart. He sanctifies it. And this place in, you know, in the future is, is named Bethel. And when he wakes up, he says, God, I promise to give you a tithe, a tenth of all that you give me. See, now I know that there are those that say that tithing is, well, that's, 
That's part of the Old Testament law. That's part of the law that Moses established. And the law has been fulfilled in Jesus. So tithing is no longer required by God because Jesus fulfilled the law. And I would say yes and no. Yes, Jesus fulfilled the law. He did not abolish the law, but he came as the fulfillment to the entire Old Testament law that Moses gave. See, the, the law emphasizes and reinforces the principle of the tithe, which was established hundreds of years before Moses ever gave the law. See, Genesis chapter 4 that I read, Genesis chapter 14 that I read, and Genesis chapter 28 that I didn't read but referred to all happened before Moses ever gave the law. In the law in Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 30, it says, All the tithe, the tenth part of the land, whether the seed of the land or fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. So the law enforces the principle that the tithe belongs to God. It didn't establish it. Now, there are some things from the Old Testament that ended at the cross. There are some things that are transformed by the cross, and there are some things that pass through the cross. For example, animal sacrifice and dietary restrictions are examples of things that, that came to the cross and they ended at the cross of Christ. We no longer follow, we no longer do animal sacrifices, we no longer have dietary restrictions. Thank the Lord Jesus for bacon and ham. Can I get an amen? amen. There we go. <laughs> Sabbath was transformed at the cross. See, in the Old Testament, before Jesus and the cross, Sabbath was a time. It was a day. It was from sundown on Friday. Yeah, sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. That was the time frame of Sabbath. And nobody was allowed to work. You could only take a certain amount of steps. You couldn't, there was all these things that you couldn't do. But now, Sabbath has been transformed by the cross. And we no longer observe Sabbath as a day, as a, as a set of 24 hours. But we observe a Sabbath lifestyle. We are to live at rest. Because rest is found in God. See, Sabbath was transformed at the cross. Things that are passed through the cross would be an example is, is tithing. Tithing passed through the cross unchanged. They tithed before the law. They tithed during the law. And after the cross, there's tithing. Turn in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi is the book right before Matthew. It's on page 1269. In my Bible anyway. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8, uh, 8 through 12. And now this is, if, if generally speaking, really generally, if someone is going to teach or preach on tithing, this is usually where they start. This is usually the, the context that they, that, they, uh, that they preach from this text. So in verse 8, it says, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings you have withheld. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, this whole nation. Verse 10 says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until there is no room to receive it or contain it. Then I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, and he will not destroy the fruit of the ground, nor will your vine in the field drop its grapes before the harvest, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations shall call you happy and blessed, for you shall be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. 
this passage is so rich with teaching, with revelation, that we could literally just spend our entire time on these four verses. But I want to highlight just a couple things out of them because I also want to jump into the New Testament. The first is that God tells the Israelites that they have been robbing him. See, if I've been robbed, it means that something that is mine has been taken from me. See, this is important. The Israelites were taking from God what belonged to him. And God said the tithe is his. See, but we also understand, God says the tithe is his, but we understand that the tithe comes back to God by way of our hands. See, God gives us finances. And he says, now I want you to give me the tithe back. He gives it to you first, and he says, I'm trusting you just to give it back to me. But they were taking it and not giving it back. See, when I do not give back the tithe, I'm not keeping it. What I'm doing is I am taking it from God. We are robbing God. When it doesn't belong to me and I take it and keep it, that's called theft. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be caught with God's money in my pocket. So we also see the second thing I want you to notice here is that the Israelites were cursed with a curse because they were robbing God by not returning the tithe to him. But then God says, but if you stop robbing me and you begin to return the tithe, then you will be blessed with a blessing. The blessing, if you look at it, the, the blessing far outweighs the curse because it talks about how you will throw open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that they, not, that they cannot contain. Interesting fun fact, the only other place that it talks about the windows of heaven being opened is when the earth was flooded in the days of Noah. It says that God opened the windows of heaven and the rain fell and it flooded the earth. That's the picture of the blessing. God says, I will open, throw open the, the, the windows of heaven or the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing that you cannot contain. See, now we need to understand what the prophet Malachi is talking about in light of the cross. Because this is, this is before the cross. This is before Jesus. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 that Jesus became a curse for us so that we could experience release from every curse. See, before Jesus and outside of relationship with Jesus, we can have curses that attach themselves to us. And in this case, the curse results in lack and it results in poverty. See, when we have a relationship with Jesus, the curses in our lives are broken because it says that Jesus became a curse for us so that we could experience the release from those curses. So the application of this now is not about necessarily be, being cursed, but it's about position. See, we position ourselves once we have relationship with Jesus. We position ourselves to be blessed or we position ourselves to stand outside of the blessing. So I want you to picture a waterfall that's, that's pouring down. And I can either position myself underneath that waterfall, which represents the blessing of God, or I can position myself outside of that waterfall. And it's all based on my choices. See, on this side of the cross, I'm not, I'm not cursed, but I don't position myself to be blessed. I can either stand under the, under the blessing of God by returning the tithe, or I can keep it and remove myself from his blessing. See, it's the tithe that determines if what remains is blessed or not. So now let's jump into the New Testament and see what Jesus has to say about tithing, because it's common for people to say, well, Jesus never talked about the tithe, so that means that we don't have to tithe, because we follow, we follow Jesus. 
Turn to Matthew chapter 23, and you have the same story in Matthew as you have in Luke. Matthew, it's actually Matthew 23, 23, and the same story is in Luke eleven forty-two. So here we have, of course, Jesus who's rebuking the religious leaders of, of his time. And he says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites! For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Jesus is correcting the religious leaders who would follow the letter of the law down to the smallest, most tiniest detail. Even to tithe on their herb gardens. I mean, you don't use a lot of herbs when you cook. Or herbs. Do you say herb or herb? It's kind of a funny word. Herb. I don't know that herb would appreciate being used in cooking. Herbs might. It's like tithing off a quarter that you found on the ground. It's such a small amount. But the religious people would tithe off, these, off, the, off the herbs that they would grow in their garden. They would tithe, that, tithe off that small amount. But they would, not, they would not give justice. And they would not give mercy. And they, they didn't have faith. See, they were all about the sacrifice. They were high on sacrifice but low on obedience. Which is what, what Renee talked about last week. They sacrificed down to the smallest detail. Look at what they gave. Look at the religious duties that I'm doing. But they ignored everything else. The obedience aspect. Because God says have justice. Have mercy. Have faith. They piled on all these religious duties on the people. And they burdened them down. And Jesus is correcting them. said, yes, of course you should tithe. But there are more important things. Like justice. Like mercy. Like faith can't be so strict on the rules and miss the heart of God. See, God's not looking for you to follow all the rules and check all the boxes so that you feel like you're being a good follower of Jesus. While I read my Bible, I went to church, I tithed, I wasn't sarcastic to my boss, I didn't secretly leave er work early last week and get paid for the whole day when I was only there for a couple hours, so I'm a Christian. Look at all the Christian things that I just did. That proves that I love Jesus. Jesus doesn't want 10% of your income. He wants 100%. See, we get so locked in. We get so dialed in on the tithe. And we're so, so concerned about, look at how much I'm, look, this is what you require of me to give back to you. Look, this is a lot. And we get so locked into that and we forget that Jesus isn't looking for 10%. He wants it all. He's not after your tithe. He's after your heart. See, Psalms 24 and verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the whole world and all who live in it. This is a, it's, it's, it's a poorly kept secret, but God owns it all. God owns it all. God owns it all. We don't actually own it. It's not ours. It's all His. See, I checked the original Hebrew language, and it's really interesting. Because everything literally means everything. The things that you purchase with the money that you made from the job that you have, that you have the ability to do because there's breath in your lungs, where did the breath come from? It came from God, right? It, it's all His. As His followers, we have to and we must have the understanding that it's all about Jesus. It's all of me 
all, all of me for all of him. He doesn't want to be part of your life. He wants to be your life. God doesn't want a tenth of your income because 100% of it already is already his. He just allows us to keep 90%. See, when you, when you switch your mindset and your perspective of how you look at it, it doesn't seem so bad. Because it's not yours in the first place. It's all his and he allows you to keep 90% of it. Boil it all down. It's not about the money. God doesn't need your money. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He doesn't need your money. It's about the heart. See, tithing isn't about money, even though we give our money. It's about my heart. And the question is, does Jesus have my heart? See, when there's resistance in my heart, in returning the tithe, it shows that there's resistance in my heart towards Jesus. It shows that I haven't given him everything. That I may, with lip service, call him Lord over my life, but I'm still holding on to things and saying, no, 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 no. That's mine. He wants to be king. And he wants to be Lord over my entire life. Is money the master or is money the servant? Is Jesus my Lord or is money? Because you can't have it both ways. See, when we return our tithe first before we do anything else with our finances, we are establishing the rule of Jesus over our life and over our finances. See, it's like this. It's like you're driving your car and you're driving down the freeway. If you've ever taught, you know, one of your kids to drive, it's kind of like this. Your child is in the driver's seat and they're, and they're driving and the freeway, is a, the freeway is a wild place for someone who's like 16 years old. Like it's, it's a wild place for someone who's a lot older. And they're driving down the freeway and they're doing the best that they can and next thing you know, like, like I'm reaching over and I'm driving. I'm like, no, brake, gas. And, but, they're, but they're not letting go of the wheel and they're trying to drive at the same time and, and I'm trying to steer at the same time. That's what it looks like when you withhold your tithe and you're like, I'm going to control this aspect. God's in the driver's seat and you're trying from the, from the passenger side trying to steer the car. It doesn't work that way. It's not Jesus take the wheel. You shouldn't be in that seat. Have you ever seen that bumper sticker that says God is my co-pilot? That's, that's a terrifying bumper sticker because I don't want God to be my co-pilot. He's the pilot. He's steering the, he, he, he's driving the bus. And I from the passenger seat or from the back seat should not try and reach over and steer and tell him where we should go or try to really what it is, it's exert control. Because he wants us to give that control up. Returning the tenth or the tithe is where we start. I can't give until I've returned what doesn't belong to me. See, the focus of giving in the New Testament is generosity. It's not simply on reaching an amount, right? It's not like, okay, I gave my tenth and that's, that's it. The focus is generosity, but generosity only starts after, after we've returned what's not mine. I can't be generous if I haven't even returned what doesn't belong to me. If I borrow your car and you, 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 you lend me your car and, and, I, and I use it, you're not going to celebrate my generosity when I give it back to you. I'm going to celebrate your generosity for lending me your car. 
Now, if I want to be generous, I'll fill it up with gas. I'll take it and I'll get it detailed. Now, now I'm being generous. Now I've given back what doesn't belong to me, but I've given over and above. See, I can't be generous until I return what doesn't even belong to me. Now listen, I understand that everyone is in a different place in their walk with Jesus. And I want you to hear me clearly. There's no condemnation and there is no shame for whether you, you do or you do not tithe. Because Jesus takes us all exactly where we are. Just where you are, just like you are. He doesn't say, hey, clean it up before you come into my house. Do all of these things and then we can have relationship. He takes you exactly the way that you are. And it's because that he loves us so much that he doesn't leave us in that place. But he brings us to a place of total surrender where he is our absolute king. See, what's important is that we grow. What's important is that we mature. What's important is that we don't just, you know what, I'm just going to sit down right here. Jesus, I feel like this is a pretty good place for me to be and I'm going to sit down and stop right here. I like this place. See, we have to continue to grow. Ryan, uh, our worship pastor, shared a, a story with me. Uh, it was probably towards the end of August or beginning of September. He walked by my office one day and he said, hey, I've got a tithing testimony. I've got a tithing story for you. And he said that um, at the beginning of August, he had his tithe. And there wasn't much left after the tithe. He was going to have a deficit. wasn't going to be able to pay some bills and some things like that. And so he was wrestling and struggling. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm going to give this. It's not mine. And he gave, he gave his tithe. It turns out that August, see, Ryan also works uh, in online sales. That, that August, Ryan had the most sales of any month that he has ever had. After that, that struggle, that wrestling of what should I do with this? And he returned what didn't belong to him. See, when you return what doesn't belong to you, it determines if what's left is blessed or not. You might look at it and be like, man, I've got, like 10% a lot. And God says, but if you just give it, Give it back to me and you position yourself underneath the flow of the blessing in my life. Just watch what I can do with 90%. Because what God can do with 90%, you can't do with 100%. I know. I mean, Kaylee shares the story of, of being given, a, given the finances to, to buy a, a new van for their growing family. They did not have enough room and space for their growing family and they did not know what to do. I know that they're givers. I know that, that they're tithers. I've, I've, known, I've known Joel and Kaylee for like a decade. We've done life together. So I know them. Of course, it's, it like, it's awesome. We're like, yeah, God. God looks after us. See, when we are faithful and we return what doesn't belong to us, he blesses us and he will look after us. Even if you can't see how or where or why. I don't ask those questions because those questions are in God's realm. I don't need to tell him how to do his job. He's pretty good at it. It's rarely easy, if ever, when Jesus is challenging us to grow. Surrender is hard. We'll just be real. Surrender is hard. But it's always worth it. Because when we surrender, we receive far more than we ever give up. We get Jesus. And Jesus isn't just enough. Jesus is always more than enough. 
see it's the 10th portion of our income. It comes from the first. It doesn't come from the second, and it doesn't come at the end. The 10th doesn't belong to us. It belongs to Jesus, and we simply return it. He doesn't just want the 10th. He wants it all. He wants all of you. I think the response today, what I want to leave you with is this. Will you trust him with your all? That's what he wants. He wants it all. There's been a theme over, I guess, the month of September and into the beginning of, of October. This same theme has unintentionally run through all of the message that we've, that we've been talking about on giving. Shelby talked about stewardship, and she talked about how he wants your whole life. Renee talked about sacrifice versus obedience in the light, in the light of giving, and, and she talked about how he wants your whole life. If you remember back to the beginning of September, I shared, a, I shared a message and I shared a, a vision that I have that I had one Sunday of Jesus walking down this aisle here and stopping in between these front two rows and telling and saying that he's brought our church to the edge. And he said this is a place that this church has been before but hasn't crossed over. And I immediately felt that he, he spoke to me and gave me Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I'm not sure if you, if you remember that message, talked about being a living sacrifice. And I felt like he was saying that's how we cross over and crossing over is stepping into all of the, the promises that he has, all of the, the prophetic words that have been given. It's the fulfillment of all of those things. And we do it by, by laying our lives down, by total surrender, by giving it all, by being a living sacrifice. That's how we step into those things. He never forces us. He, 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 he never demands. He asks for that total surrender. Will you lay it all down? He says, if you lay it all down, you watch what I will do with your life if you will lay it all down. But you won't see all that I can do with you if you continue to try and hold on to it. If you continue to try and control it on your own. He wants it all. He wants it all. I want you to close your eyes. Can't, can't talk about God wanting it all without giving an opportunity to, to say yes to him. If you're here and, and you've never said yes to Jesus, if you've never said, I want... Jesus, you can, you can have my life. You can have it all. I accept you. And I want you to be my God, my King, my Lord. If you've never done that, and, and today, you, you know what? You're saying, that's what I want. That's what I need in my life. I just simply just want you to raise your hand. No one's looking around. This is just between you and Jesus. It's not a corporate decision. It's a personal one. Let me pray.
Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you how you teach us and you instruct us and you lead us. And you don't leave us where you find us. But you grow us and mature us and you bring us to a place of total surrender to you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would continue to speak into our hearts. Speak and draw us into that place of total surrender. Where we lay it all down. Because we love you. Just because we love you. And you are worth it. You are worth it. In Jesus' name, amen.